Hi, I'm Ellie, and I'm going through some pretty trying times on my very own trying to conceive journey. And if you're here, I'm guessing you are too. In this pod, we're talking about all things TTC and fertility to try and feel less alone as we get to know our bodies, while also exploring the different journeys that we might be on to try and meet our baby. Whether you're battling with infertility, trying after loss, or just starting out trying for the first time and you don't know where to begin, this pod is for you. Welcome to The Trying Times. Hello my loves, today's episode is a little bit different. I want to talk to you about something that isn't directly about trying to conceive, but it can be linked to infertility and has definitely shaped my journey. Um, It's something that isn't really known enough about. I'm talking about endometriosis, or as we like to nickname it, endo. And I think it's really, really important to talk about it in detail because I'm sure there are girls out there who struggle with painful periods and other things and think that it's just normal for them when actually it might not be. And it could be an indicator that there is more going on. And yeah, it can cause infertility. So it's an important topic to discuss. And very on topic for me personally today because I'm literally on the tail end of a flare up. So it's all very fresh in my mind right now. So today I'm going to be talking about what endometriosis is, but also my journey with symptoms and how I got diagnosed. It's a bit of a long story and there is so much to cover when it comes to endo and how it's affected my life, my husband's life, trying to conceive and the journey even now, which I'm definitely going to go into in more detail in another episode soon. Let's start at the beginning with what endo actually is, apart from horrible. (laughs) Endo is basically where tissue that appears very similar to the lining of the uterus grows outside of the uterus. Over your cycle, these cells react the same as the ones inside the uterus. So as we know, during our cycle, the lining gets thicker, ready for a baby to hopefully snuggle into. And then when pregnancy doesn't occur, it sheds, which is our period. Endo does the same. It builds up and then it breaks down when you're on your period. But unlike the actual lining of the uterus, the blood has nowhere to go. So it just stays inside and causes problems. It can cause inflammation. It can cause cysts, lesions, scar tissue, and it can fuse your organs together. And it can cause a lot of pain. But endo doesn't just cause bad cramping. I mean, yes, it does cause bad cramping. I get the worst pain that I've ever had from endo but it can also stay hidden and not cause any cramping. This is why endo can be quite tricky to diagnose, but it can cause more symptoms than just chronic pain, including fatigue, nausea, problems with pain during sex, bowel pain, bladder pain, bloating, heavy bleeding, anxiety and depression, definitely, and you guessed it, infertility. Quality of life just goes downhill with endo. It definitely has for me. And there are things that I can no longer do because of the chronic pain, including my job, social events. And I've had to take at least two days a month just to stay in bed or in the bathroom and just ride the endo wave. I can't do anything on those days. It's definitely stolen my freedom. The scary thing about endo is that there is no cure and there's no way to prevent it from happening. There are treatments to lessen the pain and symptoms, but there isn't an actual cure. It can just come back. And the Endo UK website says that in the UK, around 1.5 million women and those assigned female at birth are currently living with the condition, regardless of race or ethnicity. And the WHO states that it is 10% of us globally. That's 190 million, hundreds of millions. 
and no cure. It actually makes me so sad and I really hope that one day there will be hope for future generations with the progress that people are currently making to make this disease more known about and researched. I think the best way to tell you about endo is to tell my story. So let's go back to the start. Teenage Ellie. (laughs) As a teenager, you know, my periods started and they were what I considered normal. My mum and my sisters had difficult periods, so I never really questioned mine. In fact, I'd say that theirs were worse than mine, so I just got on with it. Quite early on, I started getting pretty bad acne and I was taken to the doctors to see what they could do to help it. We tried topical stuff and in the end, I started on the pill. And this was great. Years and years and years passed and there were times where I would run the pill through back to back and skip a period here and there as well. And those were the best months. No period meant no pain. So then I realised that actually the pill was making me feel pretty crap. They had changed the one I was on for another brand or whatever and at that point I decided to make a change. I'd struggled on and off with my mental health and I'd felt so down and I wanted a break from the pill just to be free from all medications and see how I felt. And you know what? My mood was so much better when I was off it. It's crazy how much the pill had been hiding my joy. So fast forward to my first memory of something really isn't right here. I was 18. I was in my first year of university. I was living in halls on my own and I thought that I was dying. Like genuinely, I was extremely frightened. I remember lying on the floor and panicking about what to do, whether to call someone or what. It went through my head that maybe I was actually pregnant and I didn't know it and maybe I was in labour or something because that's how I imagined labour contractions felt like. I could barely see, I could barely breathe, like anything. I ended up just lying there riding it out until I was okay enough to call my mum, who then came pick me up and took me home for a few days. That pain is still etched in my mind. I'll never forget that experience. Periods after that were bad, but I could still live mostly. I didn't let it stop me from making plans and doing things. I just took all the pain meds that I could and I carried on. I don't think my endometriosis was too bad at that point, well, symptom-wise anyway, but looking back, I had always had problems again, since being a teenager, with my bowel. And again, I went to the doctor with these symptoms and I was told to try cutting out dairy, which I did, and it didn't help. But the pain wasn't all the time and I couldn't find a pattern. So I just ignored it and thought, maybe it's normal. I'll just need to get on with it. So the next big endo-related event, which I didn't know was endo at the time, was when I was 23. I had just met my husband, Ben, that year and we had moved in together He was always really good with me during my periods and I take things easy, but again, I don't think I let it rule my life at that point. But this is where things get a bit gross. So if you need to skip the next bit, then do. But it's not something I've really talked much about, really because I'm embarrassed, to be honest. Um, But I know that there are other girls out there who have had these same symptoms too. And it's important to share this symptom with you because it is a big one to look out for. Basically, we're talking about our bowel movements. Yeah, um, even now I find that hard to talk about. (laughs) How ridiculous is that? Okay, one day I noticed that I had clots and blood and mucus coming from the back door and I absolutely freaked out. It's not every day that you see that much blood coming from that area or mucus actually. Um, 
But yeah, I freaked out and I called the doctor for an appointment ASAP. I was scared and I thought there was something like seriously wrong with me. And my experience with the doctor wasn't a great one either. So I got an appointment. I explained what had happened and she did an examination and asked me questions. She seemed really concerned and confused and she called the hospital in front of me to ask them if I needed to be sent to A&E. Cue the next freak out. Long story short, they said no. I was sent home with nothing, no information, just a let us know if it happens again. Well, it did happen again and again, but not all the time. In fact, I didn't see a pattern at all. It was my husband who noticed. He said, Ellie, it's happening every time that you're on your period. Could it be linked? So I talked to my mum about it and said that I was going to go back to the doctors. And she said that she knew of someone in the family on her side who had endometriosis. And we talked a bit more about the symptoms too. And she suggested that I researched into it and then asked the doctor about it. So I did. And when I looked up the symptoms, I felt seen. It was all there in front of me in black and white. That was me. So here is where I was really lucky. I booked an appointment with a different GP to the last time and I went armed with knowledge. This is why I always say knowledge is power. I went and I told this lovely new doctor what my symptoms were about the bowel bleeding and the timing of it and I thought that I might have endometriosis seeing as so many of my symptoms matched up. And she actually listened to me and agreed with what I was saying. She immediately referred me to a gynecologist and sent me for an ultrasound scan as well. This was the beginning. I can't remember the exact timeline because we're talking about like seven years ago now. But the next step was the scan. And I went with my mum, bless her, for moral support. She came with me to every appointment and I am beyond grateful for her holding my hand all the way through it. The scan started off as an ordinary ultrasound, jelly on the tummy, etc. But very quickly, they asked if they could do an internal so that they could get a better look, which we did. And I tried my hardest to listen to what the sonographer and the doctor were saying to each other. And I did hear ovary and cyst and some measurements. And it didn't sound great. But at that point, they wouldn't tell me what they had found. And I had to wait until I saw the gynecologist. Cue the stressful wait. Always waiting, right? So eventually I get my appointment with a gynecologist and they look really concerned at the scan and said that she needed to send me for a blood test because they'd found a cyst on my ovary and they weren't sure what it was. She did a physical examination as well and she pushed on the area that was so painful and she said that she could feel the cyst. So that was interesting. She said it could be an endometrioma, but she couldn't be sure and we needed to do some more tests. So again, I freaked out out especially when I found out that the blood test was to check levels for cancer she also sent me for an MRI scan to see if they could see anything and the next wait was just awful I was picturing every scenario it wasn't fun but thank goodness the bloods came back clear so then it was just the MRI which wasn't a fun experience either <laughs> those machines are so loud and I'm not great with loud noises so yeah that's fun <laughs> But actually, it was fine because it was for the lower stomach region. My head was just out of the machine, so it didn't feel too claustrophobic. And with my first one, this one, they gave me headphones with the radio so that they could talk to me through them. And also just so I could listen to some music and not worry about the loud noises all around me. They also ejected me with a dye for the scan, which I didn't really expect. So yeah, there was that too. 
and it took quite a while. I'd say it took like maybe an hour. After that, I had to wait for my next appointment with the gynecologist for the results. Always waiting. Um, and this appointment came with a lot of emotions. As soon as I sat down, she said, I'm really sorry, you've got stage four severe endometriosis. And at this point, I didn't really know that much about endo. All I knew was infertility and pain. And stage four, I didn't know it had stages. So when you hear stage one, two, three or four or whatever, you think cancer. And with the higher the number for that, it, the worse it is, right? So I went into like panic. Oh my God, I've got the most awful thing here. She explained that stage four was the worst stage, but that didn't mean that it was the worst, which confused me so much. But what I now know is the stage of your endo basically relates to where the endo is, what it looks like and what it's doing. So there's stage one, which is known as minimal. And this means that there are a few small lesions, which basically we call superficial endo. There's only a few small bits. Stage two is mild. And it's basically the same as stage one, but there are a few more deeper implants too. Then we have stage three, moderate, which is where they see quite a few deep implants and maybe also some small cysts on ovaries at this stage. And then lastly, stage four, severe, where you have many deep implants of endo and dense adhesions and also some large cysts, which we call endometriomas. Let's just go over some of the lingo here. Um, endometriosis implants are cells that are growing outside of the uterus and are usually small and flat. Um, endometrial adhesions, they are like clusters of tissue that create bands and these bands attach your organs together. I think of it like really sticky tape that's attached itself to the organs. And so, yeah, they're stuck together. And then you have ovarian endometriomas and these are the endocysts. They can be nicknamed chocolate cysts because they're filled with blood and old blood goes brown, so chocolate cyst. And they grow on the ovaries. So my diagnosis is that I have stage four severe endometriosis with an ovarian endometrioma, um, a cyst, and deep infiltrating endo on my bowel. This meant that it's like digging deep in there. It's like getting deep into it. Um, it's basically sticking the back wall of my uterus to my bowel. Hence, all of my bowel problems and symptoms. It made perfect sense. But what about fertility? I was always wanting to be a mum and that was always priority for me to get answers on. So I asked her outright, I was like, will this affect my chances? And her answer was not necessarily. She said that the stage of endo didn't relate to the chances of infertility or pain or symptoms. She said that someone with stage one might have the worst pain and they might have loads of problems getting pregnant, whereas someone with stage three or four might not get any symptoms and might get pregnant fine. It's not linear. <laughs> I don't get it. But the staging seems to be purely for where the endo is and what it's doing rather than how bad it is in terms of your pain levels and infertility. Unfortunately for me, I have stage four and all the pain and recurrent miscarriages, so <laughs> I was not a lucky one there. So many people say to me, but I thought endo couldn't be diagnosed by scans. Sometimes, and sometimes it can. I mean, I was. It depends, I think, on the stage of it. My diagnosis was able to be done because the endo was so prominent that it could be picked up on a scan. 
but the earlier stages might not be seen and that is where a laparoscopy, which is keyhole surgery to go in and have a look, um, is necessary for diagnosis. I guess I was lucky in that it was bad enough to be seen without surgery. Um, Although my old endospecialist, we'll get into that another day, um, said that when he goes in to treat it, he may well find more superficial endo in there than can be seen on the MRI because it's unlikely that the scan would have picked it all up. So basically, what I understand after questioning it with my doctor, a scan can diagnose, but if you have a scan and it comes back clear, that doesn't mean that you don't have endo. It just means that the scan can't see that stage of endo, I believe. So I came away from that appointment feeling a few things. Relieved and validated. I wasn't crazy after all and that my symptoms were real, but also so, so sad that it was real. This was my diagnosis, something that can't be fixed and that I've just got to live with. And it could mean a struggle to have children. It was a lot to process. The next thing was a referral to an endometriosis specialist. First of all, why are women's health all pushed together in a hospital? This really upset me. I was sitting in a waiting room, thinking that I was probably infertile and my future might look very different to what I had planned, with a load of heavily pregnant women going for appointments and scans, as well as newborn babies. It was upsetting. But when I was finally called in to meet the doctor, the first thing he said to me was... Right, so do you want the surgery then? And I had no idea what he was talking about. He was very like, well, why are you here other than to get surgery? But I said, I don't understand. What surgery? What's the deal here? And he explained that because it was on my bowel, I was going to need a bowel resection as well as a cyst removal and clear out. If he tried to shave it off my bowel, he could nip it and cause perforation, internal bleeding, and I could die. Literally, Those were his words. I kid you not. So rather than do a laparoscopy, he'd just go straight in for the big bowel removal, give me a stoma, and then reverse it in six months later once it had healed. I freaked out. I was 24, and he had just said that I could die from surgery. I mean, no thanks, I'd rather not. So I asked about other options. And guess what? I was put back on the pill. I was told that most of my symptoms happen around my periods. To stop periods happening would mean no pain, so I should just run it through for a year with no breaks, so no periods, and then have a break from it then, and then do it all again, and come back when I was ready to discuss fertility, and he'd refer me on then. We weren't ready for kids at that point, so I asked about egg freezing, to which he said egg freezing wasn't as good as embryo freezing, but you need a man for that which I thought was a bit rude. (laughs) And I was in a very happy long-term relationship with my now husband at that point. So yeah, I was a bit taken aback by that comment. Um, He definitely made assumptions about me and was not my favorite appointment. And I never went back to this guy. I just went with it anyway. I I got the pill. I ran it through for a year. um, But after a year, I started getting some breakthrough bleeding and pains outside of when I would have a period. And I decided that this was not good. So I still ran the pill through but less. I can't remember exactly how long I did that for, but I did start introducing the odd break during the school holidays so I could still do my teaching job, Um, but I didn't leave it over like three months. And then I decided that I needed to get off the pill and just get my body back to normal, Um, but then I'd have pain every month. And by this time, the pain had got a lot worse. 
On days one and two of my period, and actually the day before it starts as well, um, I live in the bathroom because the bowel pain on top of my cramping makes me so unwell. I'll be sitting on the loo with my legs up in a ball, with my head against the wall, trying not to pass out because I can't actually see because I'm so dizzy and so hot and I'm trying not to throw up, screaming and like crying and whimpering. Like the only thing that might calm it down is strong prescribed pain medication. And even that takes like an hour or so to kick in. So from waking up, I have like about an hour of this before I can move. And even then, I will be running back to the bathroom five or six times. The crazy thing is, for me, it's the mornings that are awful. By the afternoon, I guess, once the pain management is under control, I can function more. And then in the evenings, it will get bad again. But the bathroom trips are mostly in the morning. And because it's bowel related, it makes my relationship with food tricky over this time. I don't want to eat because anything touching my bowel is agony, so it's best to be empty. But then I get weak and tired for not eating for days, so it's lose-lose. I have actually nicknamed the most common types of endo pain I get. <laughs> There's the shocks, and these are the worst for me. It's like lightning, so intense that it makes me cry out every time like I can't help it it's involuntary um it's like a sudden bolt of pain that gets worse and worse and worse and just as you think it's never going to go it then does and then it happens again I imagine contractions being like this um like tightening these are the pains that trigger the nausea and then there's the ache like the constant ache which is like a fire burning inside going down my thighs and across the lower stomach. It's tight and it just doesn't go away, like ever. There are other ones, but those are the two top worst ones for me. There's also a misconception that getting pregnant gets rid of endo. But for me, my miscarriages, my pregnancies have changed my periods. They've made them worse. If I don't get the pain meds in fast enough, I now end up throwing up, which makes taking the pain meds really tricky. And the exhaustion, I sleep almost solidly for like a day now. My energy levels literally disappear and I can't function at all. I've just spent the start of this week, almost two whole days in bed and I can finally do stuff again now, but I still feel like I need a nap. And this is like day five now. It takes a good week before I can eat normally again too without having to run to the bathroom each morning. But we are through another month and I always say that this is the best bit because we are furthest from being in pain again. Apart from the odd ovulation cramps, but they aren't as intense as the period ones for me. Um, but I've got to do it all again in about three weeks time. And that's what makes endo freaking mentally exhausting. So that was a pretty long story. <laughs> um, there is so much more to talk about when it comes to endo and I can't fit it all into this episode. So I will do a separate episode with how it's affected our lives and our relationship and the social, my work, um, and of course, fertility. And also Ben might come on as well and talk about how me having endo affects him and having to care for me and watch me go through it um, and how that impacts his life as well. There is so much guilt that comes with having endo um, for your loved ones and there's definitely a mental aspect to it as well that can definitely cause emotions to run high it's exhausting 
If you see yourself in anything that I've spoken about today and you think that endo could be something that you might have as well, then don't be afraid to go and shout about it to your doctor. Get them to listen. Get a referral to gynae. Get tests. Push for a laparoscopy if you feel you need it. Um, It sucks that we have to advocate for ourselves so much, but I am hopeful because the more that we talk about it, and we are talking about it more these days, the less we will have to push and the more that we will be listened to and helped. And I hope that talking about my endo story has helped you understand it a bit better too. And I think I'm going to leave it there for today. So as always, loads of love and I will speak to you again very soon. Bye.